Dallas, and welcome back to Deconstructing Dallas. It's a big, beautiful day today. We are here in the Allen Media Worldwide Studios. Uh, We've had a really fun week. Happy February to my wonderful, outstanding, and really great dressed uh, co-host, Sean Williams. Sean! Happy February. Welcome back. We took a week off and now we are back to deconstructing Dallas and it is on the heels of the Super Bowl. Man, what a game it was, Sean. That was a fun Super Bowl. I mean, I I was totally locked in, even though we had a little Super Bowl party situation going. I was totally locked into that game. Yeah, for for two teams that I really could care less about, um, I, I got locked in there. At the end, for sure, we we popped over to the neighbor's house and it was it was pretty rowdy, and so we uh, we quickly exited as the party was getting a little out of hand. So <laughs> everybody uh, at my place was going for Philadelphia, which is tough for Dallas fans, but like I don't know if I could get any more sick and tired of the New England Patriots. And and I, I like Tom Brady as a quarterback. I think he's good. Yes, we don't know what happened with those footballs, whether or not they were standard <laughs> uh, pressure, but he's good. But I'm tired of that deal. Well, I'll tell you what, I thought he was going to bring him back again there at the end, Sean. I mean, it looked like he was, uh, you know, on the way to doing it yet again. I mean, two minutes left, I was thinking, man, that is too much time. Oh, it was was all right on on script for Tom to win another one. But uh, But give Peterson credit for going for a touchdown because uh, you cannot beat New England with field goals. That's right. That's right. And and, uh, at the end of the first half, I know you were completely obsessed with the play, the the pass. catch by Nick Foles. I watched that play probably 30 times. I was <laughs> obsessed with I, I hadn't I had seen a similar play. I'd seen the run. It was not that much different than the pass that Brady dropped. No shade. But it was <laughs> I mean the way Nick Foles went over, he was checking and he got set. So yep. that he would not be in motion when the ball was snapped. Right. And he just stood there and was totally uncovered. I thought that was brilliant. I thought Doug Peterson was brilliant. Well, in our household, um, I was told that there was a Justin Timberlake concert and there was going to be a football game at the Justin Timberlake concert, which was weird. But uh, What did you that, think about JT? I thought he was pretty solid for a halftime performance. I mean, uh, some people were were throwing shade on him. I know USA Today said it was, it was weak and... Uh, didn't hold a candle to Prince. He's, he can't be Prince. Uh, I, yeah, but uh, you know what I did like? I did like that he threw up the, the Prince hologram on the sheet behind him as he was playing the piano In there. Minneapolis. And, and I have not gone back, but I believe that when they showed the aerial shot outside that there was the Prince symbol that was made in some sort of fashion with the buildings and the lights. Right. Did I imagine that? No, you saw that right. And did seeing Prince make you want to go purify yourself in the water? <laughs> of Lake Minnetonka. That is a callback. You like that? I like it. I yeah. like it. That is a good one. Purple Rain, my friend. It was a. I mean, I. I did, what about Selfie Kid? Did you Did you get a oh load my of, gosh. of him? He the was the internet wins again. Internet sensation, Selfie Kid. Which I I'm not good at citing a selfie as it's. I mean, a meme as it's happening. Like as I was looking at that, it made me laugh. That kid taking the selfie. I was like, man, you got to get that. But I did not realize that. You know, an hour later, he would be lighting up the internet. Right, right. Well, shortly thereafter, um, I know, I know, most many people in America were uh, locked into "This Is Us." Um, 
except for several folks around here, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, Sunday led into a really, really great day, and uh, we are excited to bring uh, this show to you. We've got a great guest uh, coming on uh, that we will have a chance to sit down with, and we are excited about it. And uh, I mean, a, a legend. We have a, a, an American legend that we're going to be talking to. It is going to be Attorney Fred Gray, and we'll we'll talk about who he is for those who don't know. But he was here in support of the Dallas County Promise, and Dallas County Promise is an initiative to make college tuition free for all Dallas County students, which will be an amazing, which is an amazing initiative that we're actually having the opportunity to work on. Yeah, Sean, you've been working really hard on this on this project. Free college tuition, Dallas County Promise, it covers the cost of college classes, covers the tuition cost uh, for up to 60 credit hours at any Dallas County Community College District school, uh, any campus in, in the DCCCD, uh, along with uh, providing a success coach. And then beyond that, transfer scholarships will be available to UNT Dallas and to SMU with several more universities coming on board pretty soon here. There was a student summit that you had a chance to go to as well yeah. on Monday, February 5th, and Prairie View A&M just came on as another four-year partner that is going to be an option. So as you mentioned, I mean, free tuition, regardless of income, regardless of GPA, students in the thirty-one current 31 Dallas County Promise Schools will be able to go to DCCCD schools tuition-free. And what they had to do is by January 31st, they had to sign the pledge that they would be part of this Dallas County Promise program. And 96% of the 94 students who are part, who are eligible in these high schools signed up and took the pledge. And so by March 15th now, they have to apply for the DCCCD school. So this is a very innovative program. I've been working a lot with Executive Director Eric Band, who is totally committed, who is totally in, who's totally energetic and energized by these kids and trying to make college tuition free. And when you think about it, it is an amazing initiative and really could change um kids and education and poverty and so many things in Dallas County. It's really a critical issue. During my time in the legislature, I spent some time uh, working in the higher ed space, and the community colleges in Texas are really uh, the muscle of the college and university system across our great state. They probably educate more than half of the students, um, and it's it's really important because we got to get more kids, uh, you know, credentialed, whether that's an associate's degree, going on to a four-year degree, or a graduate degree beyond that, or any sort a certificated program. I mean, this is this is really critical when it comes to looking towards the future, uh, the future of our nation. Yeah, so. I was looking at some numbers that Eric Band had provided me, and of the the thirty one high schools that they're working with, the six year college completion rate at those schools is currently eleven percent at those thirty one schools. And wow. you compare that to the rest of the county, it's thirty six percent. But look further out, Tarrant County is forty five percent, Denton County fifty two percent, Collin County sixty percent of the kids there are graduating college in six years. And you compare that to the 11% of these schools. And again, that shows that this is a critical, not only critical, but an urgent matter that we need to be tackling right now. Right here in the heart of Dallas, for sure. And and I know there are some, you know, some issues with just some students are only taking a few hours to, you know, educate themselves on a certain subject matter. So they're not looking to matriculate. But yeah, we got to get some more kids across the graduation stage. So well, the, the, the kids that the Promise event on Monday 
were from some of these schools and they got to hear from attorney Fred Gray, who is who was the attorney for Rosa Parks, who was the attorney for Martin Luther King, the Montgomery bus boycott, uh, even the Selma March. I mean, if if something was going down during the civil rights movement, especially in the state of Alabama, Fred Gray was there and we had a chance to chat with him. Yeah, absolutely. Really an exciting, exciting time. Uh, legendary civil rights uh, figure. And um, if you can't get motivated by hearing Fred Gray talk, then, you know, I don't, I'm not sure you have a pulse, but uh, exciting day. Um, really, really looking forward to uh, getting into this interview and sharing it with with everybody listening to and Deconstructing I, Dallas. And I keep thinking about, you know, there aren't very many folks left who, you know, shook hands with Martin Luther King and who actually walked across the bridge or any of those things. And so the more we can. And so while he was in our city, we thought it would be a good opportunity to share this history while we still can. That's right. 87 years old. 87 still out on years the old. Still going. Still going. Very, very fun and, and really an important, uh, important day for all of us. So uh, we will jump right into that when we get back from this short break. Uh, this is Deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in just a minute. Deconstructing Dallas. This is Sean Williams with Ryan Trimble, and we are honored to have a hero, a true hero of the civil rights movement here with us. He was the attorney for Rosa Parks, the attorney for the Montgomery bus boycott, for Dr. Martin Luther King, for the Selma March. It is attorney Fred Gray with us. Uh, Mr. Gray, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's good to be with you. It's good to be in Dallas. So we just got a few questions for you because you were here with Dallas County Promise speaking to the youth today, but I am fascinated by Montgomery. I think that is the like the American moment for me as I looked at history. When you think about what happened in Montgomery and the different people who were involved, including yourself, what was it about that movement that, that stands out even still today? Well, I think it's a tough chapter to remember. Well, People who were involved in the movement view it one way. People who were not there and who look at it from a historical perspective view it another way. For those of us who were involved in the Montgomery bus boycott, we call it a protest, we saw in Montgomery a problem that needed to be solved. I had seen the problem some years before when I was a student and wanted to be able to assist in getting the problem solved. And it just happened from the time I perceived it, which was uh, during the time I was a student at Alabama State from 19... December of 1957 until May of 1951, I saw the problem because I used the buses. 
and I realized that it needed to be worked on and decided to become a lawyer. Fast forward three years later, I'm now uh, out of law school, back in Montgomery, and six months later, I got an opportunity to represent Claudette Garvin, 15-year-old girl who was arrested for doing something similar to what Mrs. Parks did, but did it nine months before. And without the preparation or training or experience or age that Ms. Parks had, that ended up as a result of plans that were made and what we were able to accomplish over 382 days it developed into the modern civil rights movement. Looking back at it, there were many other events where people in other places across the nation, and even around the world for that matter, saw what African Americans did in Montgomery, and they were determined to look at their problems and solve those problems or attempt to solve them using the same type strategy that we used in Montgomery. And it worked. You had the sit-in demonstrations in Greensboro. It started uh, with those kids on the campus. They saw what we had done in Montgomery. And as a result of that, you had the sit-in. And then there were others who started the Freedom Rides. And you had the Selma to Montgomery March. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you had after Dr. King got to be an international leader with Southern Christian Leadership Conference, then that was a new civil rights organization added to the NAACP and other groups that were already there. So I think there's no question but that the movement in Montgomery probably initiated and gave courage to people around the world that if they could do it in Montgomery, then certainly we can do it elsewhere. Well, Mr. Gray, it is, it's a pleasure to have you. I have a good friend named Daniel Libet who is a contributing writer for National Journal. He recently spent some time with uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, and Reverend Jackson told uh, Mr. Libet about the future, what he thought about the future of the civil rights movement. He said we're in the fourth phase of it right now, which is to gain access to capital, industry, and technology. Where do you see the civil rights movement going from where we are today, where we've been to where we're going? Well, let me just mention, see, <clears throat> I'm a little different than Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. He's a good friend of mine, uh, and I was on this program about uh, six weeks ago and uh, talked with his daughter on another matter since that time, So, and I think he's doing a good job. And uh, they are persons who... After they became involved in the civil rights movement, they then began to kind of chop courses. As a lawyer, my responsibility was to represent people involved. I didn't start out intending to, to form a civil rights movement. I wanted to help solve a problem. But I think that what developed into the civil rights movement and what is still is going on I would think the future of it is to help to destroy any and all other vestiges of discrimination or segregation that would interfere 
with the minority people enjoying all of the rights and privileges to the same extent as the majority enjoy them. Uh, economics is certainly an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not completely finished the problem with education because education and quality education for a lot of the school kids now is lanking. So I don't see it still as a necessarily one shot aspect. It is as diversified as it has ever been, except we have been able to accomplish and to get the laws which provided for and prohibited uh, that permitted segregation declared unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Those out of the way. But all of the other problems that we've always had are still there, uh, some of which are racial, and we, this country has never, as I've said so many times, never really faced up to the problem of coming forth with an initiative to completely do away with racism in this country. Just a couple more questions. Again, we are with noted civil rights attorney and hero Fred Gray. And I want to go back one more time to Alabama. You are and still are a member of the Tuskegee community. Is that correct? And so Tuskegee, Selma, Birmingham, Montgomery. I spent some time in Alabama. And I always wonder why was Alabama kind of the ground zero, if if you will, for many of these activities? What was it about Alabama that made so many people uh, come to the forefront as it related to uh, equal rights and seeking justice? Well, of course, when I started practicing law in 1954, during the 50s and 60s, you had a, a group of lawyers who were working with the NACP from uh, Virginia to Texas. I think the person in Texas, I think it was down in, in Houston, by the name Williams, as I recall, it was a lawyer there. Stockwood Robinson and uh, Oliver Hill up in Virginia. From there, down the East Coast, over to Texas. So we had a lot of people who were working on on cases. Uh, Alabama was fortunate in two or three things. Uh, even before I started practicing law in 54, there were some black lawyers in Alabama who were doing civil rights work, particularly Arthur Shores in Birmingham, who had been doing it since the late 30s. You had Ozell Billingsley, you had Peter Hall, you had uh, Oscar Adams, you had David Hood. These were all lawyers in, all of them were situated in Birmingham, but they were practicing law and some of them doing civil rights work. I think in Montgomery, once they crystallized and identified the problem of buses being a problem, and once people started to work on it, and we end up finding a way not only to handle the legal case, but to have mass participation. This was something, it wasn't new because it had been tried in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with buses. It didn't take off like it did in Montgomery. And uh, I don't, I I can't tell you why it did, but I think a lot of the planning that we did uh, was part of it. 
And uh, most people now say that what we did there was an example for other people to help solve the problem. And I'm glad it was. That's great. Well, la- I think last question for you, Mr. Gray. Uh, we are we are here in Dallas again, and, and uh, knowing your history and your background and working with elected leaders, what would you tell elected leaders today, especially here in our great city? Uh, what what would be your recommendation to help us solve this this solve some of our problems as they relate to racial inequality and, and systematic inequality? Well, you know, it would be rather presumptuous of me as an Alabama civil rights lawyer to come. <laughs> Texas and try to tell black leaders in Texas or uh, the, uh, the community in Texas what they ought to do. Okay. And I don't usually try to do that. What I try to do is tell them what we did in Alabama, and particularly in central Alabama where I did my sure. practice. And if there's some things we did there that may help them here, then use it. If not, find ways and means. They are just as bright and maybe brighter than any of us. They have ideas. They have suggestions. What they have to realize is that they're problems. And as long as they're willing to realize that they're problems, these problems are not going to go away. They've been here a long time. So you're going to have to come up with ways and means of solving those problems. And one thing I realized as a young lawyer early on, I needed help. I didn't think I knew it all. While I wanted to do the legal work for the Montgomery Bus Boycott, it was instrumental in getting it started. When they gave me the responsibility, then I got scared. And I knew that Alabama was going to have the best legal minds money could buy. And I would not be any cope for them. I had enough sense. Excuse me, and contact Thurgood Marshall. I did this in the third week in December, 1955, right after we got started. Told him who it was. He read about it. <clears throat> Asked him if I could come to New York, talk with him. I had some ideas about a lawsuit I wanted to file. And he invited me to come up. I established a relationship with Thurgood Marshall and Robert Carter, who was his assistant, to assist him, uh, who assisted me. And that relationship has existed from that day in December of 1955 to date. And I think that uh, this community, if they want help, uh, there's help out there, and there are other people all over the country who may be able to assist. But the important thing is for them to realize what the problems are and begin to make some plans toward it and then determine whether they need help. In many instances, we're in a position to do what needs to be done. We have good, solid leaders, and uh, I think our leadership now, as far as being educationally prepared, they're probably as much or more educationally prepared now than when we started. And with the number who were educated then as compared to the number who are now. So I don't think it's a lack of skill or knowledge. It uh, needs may be the matter of taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. And I think that's what uh, 
Dallas Promise is trying to do for these young people is give them an opportunity so that any impediment, even financial ones, to stop them from getting an education can be eliminated. And that's good. Well, sir, we are very honored to have had the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, We thank you for visiting our city. Thank you for spending time with with some of the youth of our city. And thank you for the work that you have done. Well, thank you very much. And Tuskegee is a very historic place. We do want to invite you to come and visit us at the Tuskegee Human and Civil Rights Multicultural Center. That's great. Well, we'll be back after this short break. This is Deconstructing Dallas with Brian Trimble and Sean Williams. We are back deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. Wow, Sean, what a really, really great interview. Man, that was amazing. Could have talked to him all day, uh, you know. Absolutely. Legendary figure of the civil rights movement and one of the last remaining ones. So I'm really, really excited that we got a chance to sit down with him. And many thanks again, uh, Mr. Gray, for, for coming on. Yeah, he was in Vancouver. Over the weekend, and he came into Dallas, and he did two talks today to the students. Or yeah, two talks to the students, and then here we are chatting with him. You know, him spending time with deconstructing Dallas. So this really right. is the place to be now, I guess. This is the show to be on, Sean. Well, we are back again after a two-week break, but we we will have another show for you next week. Definitely follow us on Twitter. I am at Sean P. Williams, S-H-A-W-N-P Williams. He is at rtremble15. You can email us at deconstructingdallas at gmail.com. So Ryan, we'll do it again next week. Sounds like a plan, Sean. Thank you to Fred Gray. Thank you to Dr. Joe Seabrooks, president of Cedar Valley College. Thank you to Eric May at Dallas County Promise. And, of course, thank you to Mary Woodley. Thank you to Jennifer Pascal. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Adios.